What an incredible week we've had. Man, if you're a guest today, we're so glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Aaron, and Vacation Bible School is over. It ended on Thursday night, but we decided to keep the train up here because it serves as an illustration for a message series I'm beginning today called Derailed. Anybody already just resonate with the message? You're like, yep, yep, derailed, I get it, we're good. We came to the right church this morning. <laughs> as the story is told, Albert Einstein was traveling from Princeton on a train. And as the conductor came down the aisle punching tickets, Einstein reached into his vest pocket to get his ticket out, and he didn't have it. So he reached into his pants pocket, he couldn't find the ticket, he starts digging through his briefcase, and the conductor's getting closer, and now he's digging in the seat next to him when the conductor finally gets there, and, and he sees him frantically searching, and he says, Dr. Einstein, it's okay, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. And so the conductor continues to go down, and he gets to the end of the car, and he's getting ready to go to the next train car, and he looks back, and he sees... The famous scientist on his hands and knees looking under the seat for his ticket. He comes hurrying back over and he says, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. You, you don't have to show me your ticket. It's okay. At that point, Albert Einstein looked up at the conductor and he said, young man, I too know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and I wonder if you know where you're going. If you're going to get where God wants you to go, ultimately, you've got to know what your destination is. Amen? Paul the Apostle said it like this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Can we say those four words together? One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He said, this is the priority of my life. This is the one thing that I must do. Paul refused to be derailed by the world's or even his own interpretation of what success was. And so he said, I'm forgetting what's behind me. And not just forgetting the bad things, not just forgetting the difficult things. In fact, earlier in that same chapter, in verse 7 and 8, Paul said this. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider those things a loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was Paul's poetic way of saying, i got to put everything in context. Not that it didn't matter, not that it didn't happen, not that it wasn't amazing, or not that it didn't hurt, but in light of where I'm headed, it's all forgotten. It's all behind me, and this one thing I know I must do, I press on. That's why Paul said at another place, he said, I, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but I don't judge myself, because just because if my conscience is clear, doesn't mean that I'm right with God. That's up to God to judge my heart and my life. He knew, ultimately, what his final stop was going to be. That's why at the end of his life, he wrote the words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. 
Paul knew what he was called to do, and nothing and no one was going to get him off track. So I want to encourage you today to, to make a pre-decision. A pre-decision is the decision you make before you have to make a decision. Like, for example, in culture, Steve Jobs famously wore the same outfit every day. Every day. Blue jeans, black turtleneck, New Balance sneakers. He just made a pre-decision. He had enough decisions to make every day, and he just said, I'm going to make this a pre-decision. I don't have to worry about it. You know, scientists tell us we make 35,000 decisions every day. Some of you would probably only have to make half that many if you just made a pre-decision about what you're going to wear. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you, 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 you just need to just pre-decide. You know what? This is my color. I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to work it because I got to cut out some of the decisions I got to make every day. That's what he did. Joseph made a pre-decision in Genesis he made a predecision about purity, and that's why when he was enticed by Potiphar's wife on multiple occasions, he never gave in to her seduction because he had already made a predecision about purity. How many of you know that the heat of the moment is not the time to decide how pure you're going to be? We probably have less debates about pro-choice if we taught our kids to be pre-choice. Make up your mind before you get in a situation. What you're going to do? Joseph predetermined. Esther made a predecision. She decided she was going to go before the king of Persia to try to circumvent a holocaust from happening, happening to her people. She predecided when she said, I will go before the king, and if I perish, I perish. Ruth made a predecision. She didn't know what was ahead for her in Bethlehem, but she told Naomi, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you go, I will go. And where you die, I will die. And her predecision allowed her to be in the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Daniel made a predecision that would end with him being the second highest in command of all of the Babylonian kingdom. And he was there in exile. And yet his predecision was. I'm not going to defile myself by eating meat from the king's table or enjoying the wine. He made a predecision. You know, your destiny is not so much a mystery as much as it is a decision. You may be one decision away from a totally different story, a totally different direction of your life. And if that's true, why don't we just go ahead and make it a predecision? The pressure's off. Just decide right now. What you're going to do. Because we don't know. The Bible says no man knows what tomorrow may bring. No man knows what a day may hold. So don't boast about tomorrow. And I saw that so clearly again this past week. On Friday, I attended the funeral of one of my friend's wife. And it was difficult because my friend's wife was younger than my wife. And their three kids are younger than our three kids. So the house was packed to celebrate LaToya's homegoing. Yet I was caught off guard by what I experienced there. When I got into that service, 
the sweetest sound of worship that I have heard in a long time rose up from that place. The sweetest uh, just atmosphere of praise and worship to God arose from that place. It was powerful. It was palpable. I hadn't experienced anything like that in a long time. It absolutely just swept me off my feet. And, and I realized in that moment, a praise like this, it happened. It, it was going forth before calamity struck this family. You don't find a song like that in the valley of the shadow of death. That was a song that was predetermined. That was a posture of a life that was predetermined. And I want to promise that predecision echoed throughout the caverns of the valley of the shadow of death on Friday. They made up their mind. Like Job, we're going to praise the God who gives and who takes away. And I watched my friend Trevor stand up on the front row next to his three kids, still recovering from the accident themselves that their whole family were in on Route 30 on Father's Day weekend that took his wife's life. And I watched him lift up his hands and worship God. Glorify the Lord, give thanks to God. How, how, do, you, how do you get a song like that in that circumstance? You decide in advance. His wife, LaToya, was a worshiper. In fact, she started the, the praise dance team at their church. And so during the time of worship, the other ladies from the dance ministry were down front in the altar area. And they were worshiping in the very place where her form often filled on Sundays. She was always found there worshiping God at the altar. And these ladies are worshiping and praising. And I, I got to be honest with you, I don't really have much of an affinity for the praise banners and stuff, but, but in that service, I was hoping they would pass me one. Like, I wanted to get in on what was happening. I was like, give me a streamer, give me a tambourine, a ribbon, something. I don't know. This is awesome. Why? Because they had already made up their mind before life interrupted, before devastation hit their doorstep that we're going to live for the glory and honor and majesty of King Jesus. This past week, we introduced the kids of Vacation Bible School to an old song with a new tune. And the song is, This Train is Bound for Glory. This train is bound for glory, this train. Some of y'all didn't know that was an old song. and You just know it from Vacation Bible School. So you got the motions. You're chugging along. I see you out there. This train is bound for glory, bringing home the righteous and the holy. And can I tell you, it is. It is, and as a child of God, you ought to know what your final stop is. You ought to know where the train you're on is headed. And go ahead and make a pre-decision to posture your life for God's glory, no matter what happens. I want to tell you in the time I have left about a, a man in the New Testament who we first meet in Acts chapter 12. His name's John Mark, and this is a man who experienced being derailed. Acts chapter 12, let me catch you up to speed on what's happening in the, in the story of the newfound church. Persecution has broke out, and James, the brother of John, they were the sons of thunder, Jesus' disciples, James has been killed with the sword. And King Herod saw how much it pleased the religious leaders, the Jews in the community, and so he set his sights on the apostle Peter next. Peter was arrested. He was thrown in prison. King Herod had every intention of taking his life. And we pick the story up in Acts 12, verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison. But 
the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I won't take the time to read the story today, but an angel of the Lord responds to that prayer and goes in and unlocks the prison doors and releases Peter from the shackles that held him. And he leads him right through the, past the guards and through the gates and out into the street. And Peter doesn't even know it's not a dream. He thinks it's a dream. He's just, just enjoying the moment. Just like, this is, don't wake me up. This is amazing. And he's all the way out in the middle of the street before he recognizes that this actually happened. Now look at it with me in verse 12. It says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. And this is where we meet our character. Where many people were gathered and were praying. So the place where the church met, the place where they were praying for Paul's or Peter's deliverance rather was the house of John Mark. They were in his house. So this young man obviously had some influence in the Christian community and he had some potential as a leader that they would choose him and his home to be the host for the church to gather in, but more than that, John Mark also got the attention of some of the other leaders. As you look at the last verse in this chapter, it says in verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So now Paul and Barnabas are heading out. And the next chapter, verse 1 and 2, says they go to Antioch. And they get there and they pray with the other disciples. And they're trying to discern the will of God and the direction from the Lord. It says in verse 3 of Acts 13, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them. That's Barnabas and Saul. And they sent them off. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was with them there as their helper. Paul, when he wrote a personal letter to a, a brother in the faith named Philemon, he referred to John Mark as my fellow worker. So in a short period of time, John Mark goes from a host to a helper to a fellow worker with the Apostle Paul in full-time evangelistic ministry. But shortly after they get started on this first missionary journey, something happened. And we pick it up in verse 13 of Acts 13. It says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Persia in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, just reading that verse doesn't give us a whole lot of insight into what happened. It just says, John left them, he went back to Jerusalem. I mean, for all we know, he forgot to pack a change of underwear, and he had to go back because, you know, he just, he just wasn't ready, and he wasn't equipped for the trip. We don't know, based on that verse, but the author, Luke, doesn't leave us hanging. In fact, two chapters later in Acts 15, he, he brings the story full circle when he says in verse 36 of Acts 15, it says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back now, and let's visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the Lord, the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Now, verse 37 says this, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, and he had not continued with them in 
the work. So Luke makes it really clear. Here's what Paul's report is of the event. John Mark deserted them. He, he started out, he got to Pamphylia, and he, he quit. He turned back, he deserted him, and now there's tension. There's a disagreement on what to do next. In fact, the next verse, verse 39, says this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, and he sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So whatever it was that John Mark did, it was enough, it caused so much friction, it broke up the band. I mean, this is, this is Paul and Barnabas, this great dynamic missionary duo, and there's such a sharp disagreement over what John Mark did and how we should respond to it that they literally chose to go separate ways. Paul said, I'm not taking that guy with me. He's a quitter. I don't have any room for quitters on my team. He's not coming with me. And then maybe even more amazing than that, Barnabas chose John Mark over the great apostle Paul, author of half the New Testament. Barnabas said, if you don't want him, I'll take him. We'll go this way. And they went in opposite directions. Now, we can only speculate as to exactly what happened. There's a few things that, for one, Scripture does reveal that John Mark was actually Barnabas' cousin. So maybe that was why he got invited to begin with. You know, it's a family thing. Oh, yeah, you can go. You can come along. And I'm sure that's probably had a lot to do with why Barnabas chose John Mark over the great apostle Paul. Because how many of you know blood is thicker than water, right? Like, oh, no, we're the same team. Oh, I'm sorry, i got to go with family on this one. You know, I'm, if, if, I, if, I don't, if I don't let John Mark go, I'm going to have to... You know, I'm going to have to explain things to my aunt, you know. It's my cousin right there. i gotta, I got to take him with me. We don't really know. In fact, when the, the leaders in the Antioch church in Acts 12, 2 laid hands on them, they prayed and they fasted, the Bible says the Holy Spirit told them, set aside for the work Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul. But you know what nobody heard from the Holy Spirit that day? Nobody heard set aside for the work John Mark. But yet when they left, it says John Mark went with them. And I, I read that. I, I can't help but wonder if maybe the reason that John Mark quit, maybe the reason he got tired and frustrated and gave up is because he was doing something he was never called to do to begin with. See, we have this terrible habit in the church in America of just doing whatever we want to do and then asking God to bless it. Oh, God, would you bless this? Oh, God, would you bless that? The fact is, church, God's already blessed the plan. It's his plan. He's blessed his plan. We ought to spend less time saying, God, bless the work of my hands, and more time saying, God, reveal your will for my life so that I can step into what you've already blessed. Maybe John Mark wasn't even supposed to be there to begin with. British scholar William Ramsey spent much time in that region with a Bible in one hand, a map in the other, and he was just wanting to authenticate the accuracy of the report we get in Scripture. And he has a theory that maybe it was John Mark who really did want to evangelize Pamphylia, as Paul said they were going to, along the coastal regions, but 
Once they got started, it was Paul who rerouted the trip to the mountains of Pisidian, which are 3,600 feet in elevation higher above the coastal lands of Pamphylia. Because Galatians was written about this time and Paul talked about his physical afflictions, Barclay puts together the thought that maybe it was his illness that caused him to reroute the trip. Maybe living in the coastal region, he he contracted malaria. And so Paul decided we've got to get to higher, cleaner air. And, And he took the trip in another direction. And maybe that's what frustrated John Mark. Maybe it was... The fact that Paul changed the plans, and if that is the case, no doubt Paul would be frustrated at how unsympathetic and unsupportive John Mark would be of the fact that he's sick and has good reason to reroute the plan. Or maybe, maybe it had nothing to do with family ties. Maybe it had nothing to do with rerouting a trip. Maybe it had nothing to do with somebody getting sick on the journey. Maybe it had nothing to do with a lack of being called into the purpose. Maybe. Maybe John Mark just quit. I mean, after all, Luke said he deserted them. And sometimes people just quit on you. Ever been there? People that you, you thought you could trust, people that gave you their word, people that you thought you could depend on, and for no good reason, for no rhyme, they just up and quit, left you hanging. I've had people do that in my life. I, I've had church members do that. People that were like, we're with you. I give my right arm for you, pastor, and then they're just gone. No, no, no reason, no explanation, just gone. I don't say all those theories so that we can focus on speculation of motives. I say all of that because I want to underscore maybe the obvious truth that just sits right on top of the text. And that is this, that if the great apostle Paul, if the great apostle Barnabas can have conflict and and relational tension in the work of the ministry, maybe we, we shouldn't be so surprised when we do too. Maybe we shouldn't be so shocked when the plans that we follow in doing the will of God don't quite go as smoothly as we think they should. Can I tell you when things don't go as smoothly as you think they should and you don't know why, it doesn't mean God doesn't know why. And it doesn't mean that God's not blessing the plans just because it gets a little bit rough every once in a while. How many of you have learned that the road of progress can be a bumpy road sometimes? Yeah, that revelation hit me this week as I was driving through Wrightsville. Anybody driven through Wrightsville lately? Come on. Can I get a local witness? Man. I had this thought. If I was in charge of marketing for PennDOT, that would be my slogan. Progress is a bumpy road. Like, just... Just need the reminder sometimes that as bad as this feels, we're actually getting somewhere. We're actually doing something here. We're trying to make progress. We act, though, sometimes as if problems are an automatic indication that we've missed it with God. That would be a mistake. I I would remind you that Jesus never missed it with God, and his problems got him killed. In Acts 15, verse 39, here's here's what Luke told us. He said, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas and Paul. 
They parted ways. But, but let's dig a little deeper and consider what actually happened. What happened when, when the band broke up? What happened when Paul went one way because John Mark deserted him and Barnabas chose John Mark over Paul and went another way? I'll tell you what happened. They went separate ways, but they kept preaching the gospel. They kept seeing souls saved. They kept seeing the, the church established in new regions. They saw the kingdom of God advancing. Can I just say, as I look out across our church all morning in all three of our services, we have several people in our, converse, in our congregation, you've been through a similar season. You might look back on your life and you go, you know, before 2020, I was traveling with a different group. And then all of a sudden, like, life happened and the conversation at the water cooler at work turned dark really fast. <laughs> and the room polarized. Or maybe you look back on this last year and you go, you know, before all of this last season, I was a part of a different church altogether. I was trekking with a different denomination. I was walking this life of faith with a whole different people. But man, we had a sharp disagreement. <laughs> Maybe it was politics, maybe it was COVID, maybe it was vaccines, maybe it was racial tension, maybe it was just uh, anything else that came out of the woodwork in the midst of being squeezed by the circumstances of life. And you're looking at yourself now and you're going, I can relate to that. I've been here, I've done this. Maybe you felt it personally. Somebody quit on you. Somebody that you were committed to, somebody that you loved, somebody that you gave your heart, invested your time in, and you feel like they just hung you out to dry. They just, they just up and quit on you. They deserted you. Can I encourage you, if you can relate to that in any way this morning, don't let it derail your faith. Keep on keeping on. Let's press in and let's press on in what God wants to do in and through our lives for His glory. Amen? Yeah, they, they, they. much debate has been made about who was right, who was wrong. Was Paul right? Was Barnabas right? Should Paul have taken John Mark back? Should Barnabas have sent him home to learn his lesson? The fact is, the Bible doesn't say. Here's what we know. They split up. And if that reads sad, it is sad. Probably wasn't the best way to multiply the ministry. But you know what? There was good that came out of it. Because these men didn't let their division derail their faith. And so there were some blessings. And one of the blessings was that now the ministry multiplied. I mean, I mean listen, church splits are not God's plan A for kingdom advancement. But, but I've known of some very successful Second Baptist churches, right? <laughs> like, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of new life ministries or new beginnings church. And, you know, when you got a name like that, it probably means you started over somewhere. You probably had a Paul and Barnabas story in your past, and you decided, you know what? We're going to go this way. Y'all go that way. And I'm not saying that's God's plan for building the kingdom, but because they didn't let their division derail them. God multiplied the work. Barnabas continued to preach the gospel. People got saved. The church was established in new areas. Paul began to preach the gospel with Silas and advance the kingdom of God. You know what another blessing was? John Mark got another chance. 
He got, he got a second chance to redeem himself, and, and he showed himself profitable to Barnabas as he served with him. And, and not only that, but eventually things came full circle, and Paul himself acknowledged and validated John Mark's ministry. He, he was writing a letter to the church at Colossae, and in Colossians 4.10, as he does in a lot of his letters, he's mentioning the people that are with him and the people that serve with him in the ministry. And Paul says in Colossians 4.10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then he says, parenthetically, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, when I read that Statement in parentheses, I can't help but wonder, why did Paul feel the need to remind the church, hey, I told you about John Mark. If he comes, welcome him. I kind of I wonder if it wasn't because some of the things that Paul had told them about John Mark before would not have wanted them to welcome him. Yeah, that's the guy that left me hanging out sick in Pamphylia. The guy up and quit and just went back to Jerusalem. I got no time for guys like him, but no. Paul sees a different side, and he writes to the church, and he says, you know what? I don't want John Mark's past derailing to disqualify him for future productivity in the kingdom of God. So I told you about John Mark, but when he comes, make him welcome. And it wasn't, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just Paul who saw the value in this young man. In fact, John Mark might be the most surprising character in all of the New Testament. Because he was also an incredible value to the ministry of the Apostle Peter. When Peter wrote his epistle of 1 Peter, at the end of the letter, he's giving his greetings to the church. And he says this. He says, she who is in Babylon, verse 13, chosen together with you, sends you her greeting. And so does my son, Mark. Now, Mark wasn't his son biologically, but, but Peter is saying, this guy has become so integral to my ministry. He's become uh, such a, a positive effect. He's like a son to me in the faith. Mark was to Peter what Timothy was to the Apostle Paul. He said, this is my son in the faith. And John Mark would sit under Peter's tutelage and he would listen to his teaching and he would take scrupulous notes and, and eventually John Mark would write what we know as the gospel of Mark, which is in actuality the apostle Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus' ministry. He wrote done everything that his father in the faith taught him. Peter said he's like a son to me. And I can't help but wonder if Peter had a, a special place in his heart for John Mark because he too knew what it felt like to be derailed. See, last week our, our teaching team talked about how Peter on the night of Jesus' arrest in Gethsemane, how he fell away from God. He, he started to get off track because of his pride and because of his apathy and because of his separation from Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Peter wasn't the only one that deserted last night or that night, but did, did you know that John Mark was probably there too? He wasn't one of the 12 apostles, but in his gospel, Mark speaks with unusual specificity about something that happened in the garden 
that night. Let me show it to you as the worship team comes. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 50, he says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. They all abandoned Jesus that night. But then Mark tells us something that nobody else mentions. Nobody else talks about these next two verses. In verse 51, he says, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Many scholars believe that this, in fact, was John Mark himself. That in this way, like the other gospel writers who inserted themselves in the story without necessarily signing their gospel and saying who the writer was, many say that this is, this is John Mark's autograph. That he was the young man who was snatched by the back of his garment and, and, and cut himself loose from the guards and ran naked through the woods that night. So whether it was deserting Jesus in the garden or deserting the Apostle Paul at Pamphylia, John Mark had some moments in his life where he could have really been derailed. And yet, here's the message of his life. The message is that even if you've blown it, even if you knew you should and you said you would and you didn't, when you've blown it, don't let it derail you. Get back on track. Because when we look at the legacy of his life, there was a lot of bops and weaves and twists and turns, but, but John Mark got to where he was going. He knew what his final destination was. And at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, when he's sitting in a Roman prison, and he feels death's shadow being cast over his life, one more time, he takes the quill and the parchment and he, and he writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9, he says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. See, Paul had experienced being abandoned more than just once. This guy Demas was on the team. He was also a fellow worker, but he loved this world more than he loved the Lord, and he's forsaken me. He goes on and he says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me now. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. At the end of his life, Paul looked at this young man, John Mark, with all of his failures and all of his shortcomings, and he said, that's a, that's a guy that's profitable for the ministry. That's the guy that I want to be with me in this season. Timothy, when you come, would you bring Mark? I could use a Mark in my life. So listen, church, I, I, I don't know what your perspective is on where we're at as a culture, as a nation, as a, as a world. But can I just tell you where I'm at today? I, I've heard enough talk about how 2020 threw us off track. <laughs> I'm kind of done with that conversation altogether. I, I understand we're still dealing with situations. I understand that there's still things that need resolved and 
a lot that hasn't gotten back on track, but when it comes to the pre-decisions, when it comes to the things that directed the course and the path of my life, I made those decisions before calamity came. I made those decisions before 2020. So in that sense, nothing has changed. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to just go ahead and move on to what God wants to do in 2021. I'm ready to see God advance his kingdom. I'm ready to see God fulfill his purpose. That word advance is the word that God gave me for our church this year. And can I tell you, that's exactly what we're doing. We're advancing the kingdom of God. We're seeing God grow the church. We're seeing lives being changed. We saw it in this altar all week as over 100 kids came every night pouring out their heart and seeking God, learning about his love for them and committing their hearts and their lives to him. Maybe you're here and you've had, a, you've had a moment of sharp disagreement. Maybe you're here and you've lived through the, the Paul and Barnabas fallout. Can I encourage you? Don't keep looking back on that. Now, I'm not saying be a bridge burner. If we're talking about people, God loves people. He died for people. Don't be a bridge burner. Be a bridge builder. But I'm talking about one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me. All of yesterday's trophies and all of yesterday's scars, they can go in the closet. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Can I encourage somebody today? It's time to press on. It's time to advance. And I'll tell you what I've done. I just made up my mind. You know, God in this season has brought so many new people into my life. So many new people into this church. I bless the people that God has brought into my life. But you know what? I also bless the people that left. I bless the people that walked out. People I thought were with me. People I thought we were on the same page. People I thought had my heart. I bless them. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep seeing people get saved. I'm going to keep seeing the church be built. Why? Because like Paul and Barnabas, we've already predetermined our purpose. It might not be as smooth as we thought it was going to be, but we're not getting off too soon here. We know where we're going. This train's bound for glory. And so I made up my mind. I know where I'm going and I know who I'm going for. And I want to challenge you to just make a pre-decision today. Because neither you nor I know what tomorrow holds. But we know who holds tomorrow. And He is worthy. He alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and majesty and power and dominion and might. Glory unto His name forever. And in the church, amen. Amen. So I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room and, and I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you've struggled to hold on. You've struggled to stay on track. I want to say to you what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 58. And here's the word of encouragement. Therefore, Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, he says. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know 
that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'm not saying the, the, the hurt didn't happen and that the pain's not real, but don't, don't let anything cause you to waver because your labor's not in vain. And if you've struggled to hold on, I want to just invite you right where you're standing. Would you just close your eyes and maybe even want to lift up a hand toward heaven and just make an altar right there and say, God, I, I want to get on track. God, I, I don't want to be derailed by the circumstances that surround my life. God, I, I choose today to give my whole self to the work. I choose today to give my whole life back to your plan and to your purpose that you have for me the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Today, Jesus, again, I give you my life. Jesus, today, I let nothing move me. I'm going to stand firm and always give myself from this day forward fully to the work of the Lord because I know that my labor is not in vain. Come on, if that's your heart today, I'm going to invite you right where you're standing.